I believe there's a hero in all of us. Gives us strength, makes us noble. Even though sometimes we have to give up the thing we want the most. Barker! Where you been? Looking for you all morning. You're late. Always late. You're fired. Look at you, Peter. Your grades have been declining. You always appear exhausted. I know, I'm trying. So where you been, pal? You don't return my calls. I've been kind of busy. Taking pictures of your friend. Spider-Man killed my father. No matter what I do. Do you love me or not? No matter how hard I try. I want Spider-Man dead. It's the ones I love who will always be the ones who pay. I can't keep thinking about you. I'm getting married. I want a life of my own. I'm Spider-Man. No more. I let things get in the way before. There was something I thought I had to do. I don't have to. I like seeing you tonight, Peter. Now on to the main event. Octavius is going to put Oscorp on the map in a way my father never even dreamed of. Crazy scientist turns himself into some kind of a monster. Four mechanical arms welded right onto his body. Who takes Spider-Man's pictures? Where is he? Taking me off your loyalty to Spider-Man and not to your best friend. Bring Spider-Man to me. How do I find him? Peter Parker. Find Spider-Man or I'll peel the flesh off her bones. There are bigger things happening here than me and you. What is it? It's time to go back. Welcome. Welcome back to Generation S. It's a podcast about growing up in the 90s and the early 2000s. And I'll put it to you this way. If you consider the movie we're discussing today to be the greatest superhero movie of all time, and in fact, saw it in theaters back 20 years ago, this podcast is for you. I'm Dan Kemp, joined once again by future best-selling author and good friend of mine, Mr. Odian Levy. What's up, man? What's going on, man? Not too much, buddy. We're back for part two of Spider-Man. You excited? I can't believe a whole week has passed and I haven't been able to talk about this so i'm driving everybody crazy (laughs) yeah i'm excited um yeah so this i think this is probably the one i was looking forward to most to discussing because i don't know i was gonna say like it's my favorite but as soon as i said that out loud i'm like is it though i feel like i like them all pretty equally for different reasons but i understand why people see this as the greatest of the spider-man you know raimi trilogy i'll ask you up front what are your thoughts how do you rank this one among the other two 
It is the best, in my honest opinion. I know okay. the last one we said, um, I saw the other one like six times in the theaters. I didn't go a crazy amount of time for this theater, well, this one when it came out on the theaters, because at that point I realized that, you know, it's going to come out on DVD. It's no need to freak out. We got the sequel we were looking for. That's so right. that was good for me. Um, what made me, <clears throat> excuse me, what made me mad was that it was such a good sequel that it literally showed you could make trilogies or make like successful movies to uh, superhero movies. Cause most superhero movies, the sequel fell flat because they yep. couldn't capture that lightning in a bottle twice. And I think this was the first one that I can even remember where I sat there going, this is possibly better than the first one. How is that possible? Well, and I have a theory to that actually, now that you mention it, I, I have a theory as to why that is. And it's because the first film in this trilogy had a true beginning and a true end where the story was wrapped up, but it did it in a way that made you want to see the next chapter in, in the next story. Right. Um, so bad examples of movies where you didn't necessarily care what happened next, uh, as far as superhero movies go. Um, and not that you didn't care, but we'll go back to, we did this last week, Batman, right? So the original Batman 1989 with uh, Jack Nicholson, Michael Keaton, fantastic movie, had a definitive ending. Okay, we're, we're, we're good. Batman's going to defend Gotham. We're moving on. That was it. If we never saw another Batman movie, we knew what Batman was doing, right? That was, that's it. That's, that's all we had. That's all we needed. Batman Return comes out, uh, returns, excuse me, and uh, you get a very unique and different take on it from tim burton and it's very polarizing and certainly not as popular as the original because like you said they didn't really catch lightning in a bottle and i think part of it is because you didn't really care what batman was doing yeah it's a batman movie you're excited but like you weren't really emotionally invested in batman as a character to care if he was still doing a good job in gotham whereas i feel like with Raimi spider-man you wanted to see how Toby was going to handle this responsibility that he all of a sudden has accepted for himself to be Spider-Man and, and put, a, you know, put aside his, his loved ones and his, his emotional connections to be focused on being the best hero possible. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Do you feel like that's, that's my theory as to why it works so well in this case with, with Spider-Man too? I think it's dangerous how you and I don't talk to this depth on a, normal everyday basis and how much <laughs> close this is to what we're thinking. So you're going to laugh. I saw Batman uh, returns over Christmas break um, because I sit there like, I have some fuzzy memories about it. I'm going to break this down for you. Uh, so Norman Osborn voices in his head becomes, you know, goblin, whatever dies, yep. definitive end. Right. Uh, Joker was I think his name was like Joe Cool or something like that. He fell into a vat, became Joker, whatever. He yep. gets he doesn't die. He just hangs out or whatever, and that was your definitive end. Well, and he does die at the end of that one. Remember does he, he die? I thought up. he was no. He oh, falls off right. the building. I'm, he they dies dies like then that's yeah. I think people pissed up because you can't bring him back. He's dead. Yeah, that's that was the thing because I'm thinking of the other Joker from um, Heath the other Joker, Batman yeah. series. He thought yeah. So anyways, so yeah, so he so he dies right, but then in Batman Returns you have it like a reset button that now you're trying to learn the origin of Catwoman and that she gets pushed out of a building and she almost dies, but then she becomes Catwoman. And then like they kill whatever Miss Gotham and throw her out of a building and they blame Batman and frame him. And I'm just like, this doesn't, there's a lot of people falling to get their origins in this storyline yeah. where, you know, and in, in this particular movie, right. You have a uh, uh, Harry Osborn 
trying to do right by his dad by keeping his company going and then fund uh, 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 Dr. Octavius. And Dr. Octavius is a noble pursuit. He's trying to harness the power of the sun. And so it just felt like with this movie, the reason why, like you say, that this was like a much better sequel is that you felt like Spider-Man was transitioning to the next step in his life. Everybody, all the characters moved to the next step of their life where Batman felt like, You've defeated this villain. Here comes a new challenger, like Street Fighter kind of situation. Right. Totally different. Exactly. And, and quite frankly, I think they make the characters a lot more likable in Spider-Man, even as villains with Dr. Octopus and whatnot, because you see them as good people in it. And you're like, oh, I really I'm bummed that they're taking this path or whatever. You know what I mean? Like it's so it, it's they just they're better characters overall. Um I would argue also that the Christopher Nolan Batman trilogy did a very similar thing. And that's why I think the Dark Knight did so well is because Batman Begins. It was a very similar journey where, you know, through emotional trauma, Bruce Wayne accepts his responsibility as Batman and realizes what he has to do to protect the city. And that's how it ends. And he accepts that responsibility. Boom. Move, you know, roll credits. And then you want to see, OK, what's Bruce doing in Gotham? Because it was set up so well that you want to see his the next step in his journey. And I think that's why the Dark Knight, again, did so well, uh, you know, in, in, you know, as far as people wanting to see it and truly outdoing its, its you know, predecessor, you know, at least, you know, from a critical standpoint, a box office standpoint. So. But I think you, you hit the nail on the head on why Spider-Man's rogues gallery in spite of who was the director, because even when people say Andrew Garfield, whether you like it or not, is either the lesser or the mid-tier Spider-Man, all of his villains were highly relatable people. They weren't yep. just, I'm evil for evil's sake. It's like, hey, I'm trying to harness the power of the sun. Hey, I'm trying to make right for my kid. Hey, I'm trying to get revenge. There's only one villain I can think of in the entire rogues gallery that you just hate is Carnage. Carnage yep. is a murderer. And he's trying to murder more. And even Eddie Brock, he just didn't like Peter. And the symbiote takes over his body. But then there's flashes of later on in his in in, in the Venom's, uh, um, even in the movie that we have right now, where he's not that bad of a guy and he becomes more of an anti-hero. But yeah, for the most part, Spider-Man's villains are highly relatable people. Yes, I agree. And they don't start off totally evil and you have to see them turn, which makes you feel for them. They're almost sympathetic, but then they're still bad. So, yeah, I agree. I think and I think they do a very good job. And in this film, certainly no exception this time around. The headlining villain, Dr. Octopus. And um, so let me ask you a question. So when you think of Spider, so with Batman, you got Joker, right? I think it's hard to argue that's like his definitive like go-to villain right it's been done to death in video games and comics and movies for you i would argue that you you could green goblin or dr octopus are truly i think those between well and that's not i can't say that because there's so many there's so many villains for spider-man that i could say oh spider-man and so and so and that's like the definitive you know battle right like for you who is spider-man's definitive arch nemesis do you have one i will tell you that it's doc ock and for a couple of good reasons why it's Doc Ock. When I give it okay. to you, you'll see why Doc Ock is his villain. Because um, a lot of people don't think that. The reason why he's his villain is that he's the only villain that knows him as Peter, has tried to help him, but also has been his villain, and has also taken over his body. Because there's a superior Spider-Man comic book uh, that came out very recently in the last 10 years or whatever, where Doc Ock takes over Peter's broken body, and he becomes what they call the superior Spider-Man. And he realizes that Spider-Man has been holding his punches. He realized that Spider-Man could at any time rip the arms right off of him and called it quits. And so Superior Spider-Man likes like it's Peter Parker's in the back seat and 
Doc Octopus is running it, and he's like beating people to the inch of their own lives. And then Peter Parker's like, all right, we had enough of this, and then separate. And to me, if we keep going back to uh, the Batman uh, 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 angle here, is that all of Batman's villains, even Joker, as close as he wants to get to him, he never really messed with Bruce Wayne nope. kind of situation. But Doc Ock, there were there's whole comic books where Doc Ock is um, – I remember reading as a kid, he says, take the mask off. I know it's you, Peter. And he's like, yeah. And he takes his mask off. And they're talking. And he goes, you know, your aunt may sick and I'll fix that. Da, 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 whatever. He says, why are you doing this for me, Dr. Octavius? He says, look, I have a problem with you, but there's something wrong and only I can fix it. And I'll do right by her. But after I do that, we're back to being enemies again. Yeah. And it was like really weird as a kid going, how does a villain be so nice, but also so evil at the same time? It's a respect thing, right? It's it's that's where you learn like they respect each other in a weird, twisted kind of way. It's almost like yeah. uh, to equate it to another Marvel property is like X-Men, right? With Magneto and the fact that like he's a, he hates humans, but he doesn't hate mutants, but he'll fight them to get his to, to you know achieve what he's trying to do. And so it's like, yeah, I'll help you out right now, but we're still not OK after this. But yeah, I'm not you know, it's, so it, it, it is interesting because yeah it almost again they're not they're not good guys they're not even anti-heroes they're still villains but they're they're like respectable villains i don't know what the the term is but you know it, i don't, I don't it, think it really is a, a classic because because like you're saying uh like charles xavier him yeah. and charles hate each other and then there's times where they're sitting there talking and you're like i've read the comic books where like the x-men come in and he's talking to magnus like magnus here calm down guys we're having tea. We're trying right. to figure out the future. <laughs> what? Yeah. And uh, so I, I, it's interesting because I, I, now that I think about it, I would agree. I feel like of all Spider-Man's villains, uh, Dr. Octopus is probably the closest to that. And I would argue Venom to a degree because they have obviously worked together and teamed up, but that's because Venom almost becomes kind of an anti-hero type of character and, and not stayed a villain. You know what I mean? So it's, it's different. Whereas, you know, Dr. Octopus never really, now I, I do, didn't he, in some of the comics, didn't he actually turn kind of good? For a while, or was that like maybe an alternate universe type of thing? Because I feel like there was comics where he was good, like actually a good guy. It, he was he was good in the sense that he was helping like Peter, but it was like to a definitive end, where it's basically like this villain is bigger than what I can do. I think it was like Scorpion or whatever. Um, okay, where there was like this guy is bigger than what I can handle. We can work together, and I'll help you like you know with your suits and help you with 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 fighting and then they go back to being enemies again but like as a kid i saw a a, a special with stan lee and he goes the reason why spider-man appeals to so many people is that sometimes your enemy has to be your friend and it's not so cut and dry and so because it's not so cut and dry that's what's so intriguing that it's not this guy's bad send him to jail sometimes he's literally sitting there going go well why are you doing this, Dr. Octavius? He says, I just want to get this. If you let me return whatever the thing is, I won't, you know, take you in for persecution or whatever and take you for, for your needed jail time. All right. You know, you don't put me on the raft. Thanks, man. You're a great guy. You know, you talked right. me out of it. Yeah. So you're right. I think they have the best relationship of all of his villains, too. I, I, quite frankly, I would say he 
it's the only villain he's really got a relationship with. Um, <laughs> so, you know, as far as that goes and they talk and that's part of this movie. So, I mean, that's probably a good segue. Let's jump into it then. Let's do a quick plot summary so then we can talk about the movie itself. So here we go. We are two years into his role as Spider-Man. Peter Parker faces personal turmoil, estranged from Mary Jane and Harry Osborn while discovering his Aunt May's imminent eviction from her house. Oscorp's new head, Harry Osborn, sp- uh, sponsors a fusion project led by scientist Otto Octavius, played by Alfred Molina, uh, who befri- uh, befriends Peter. Uh, a tragic accident transforms Octavius into Dr. Octopus, controlled by AI-infused tentacles. Uh, Peter grapples with the emotional breakdowns, temporarily losing his spider powers, and quits being Spider-Man. Dr. Octopus, seeking uh, tritium, which is a very rare element in this movie, for his experiment, forces Harry to demand Spider-Man's capture. Mary Jane's peril, uh, peril reignites Peter's powers, leading to a confrontation with Dr. Octopus, and after a harrowing train rescue, Peter reveals his identity to Dr. Octopus and convinces him to sacrifice himself for the greater good. Now, I kind of jumped around there a little bit because that happens a little later in the film. Uh, But meanwhile, Harry does discover uh, uh, his father's Green Goblin equipment and Mary Jane on her wedding day. That's right. She was engaged this whole time, abandons her fiance for Peter. The story ends with Mary Jane encouraging Peter to respond to police sirens as Spider-Man. So what I like about this is that everything you wanted to happen in the first one actually happens in the second one. And there's no, they don't pussyfoot around it. Like it happens. He hooks up with Mary Jane. He confesses his love to Mary Jane. Uh, Harry finds out that his dad was a green goblin. Harry finds out that Peter's Spider-Man, like a lot of shit happens in this movie. Like this is, there's a lot of emotional climaxes as it were. I was highly shocked at some of the director choices that Sam Raimi did in this movie, because you probably could have gotten two movies out of how much reveal happened. So like Harry's sitting there and he still wants the tritium and the, the, the power of the sun and Doc Ock, even after going crazy, he goes, Hey, if I give you Spider-Man for you to murder, will you give me the tritium? And Harry's like, Hey, fair deal for me. And so yeah, it's like, right. There's all these things that you're going. Cause I remember watching the movie going, He's not going to find out he's Peter because that's like anti-comic book. And when he found out, I was gutted because I was like, how are you going to hide? Your best friend knows you so well. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and, and you know, next week when we talk about Spider-Man 3, we talk about how he handles that. And I, I would argue it's one of the weaker parts of the, of the movie. But again, we'll talk about that next week. But yeah, because yeah. like, once he finds out, you don't really they don't interact for the rest of the movie. Right. That's that's it. Like they're not on screen together. You see Harry that one more time where he discovers his father's goblin, you know, armor and all that stuff. And then, you know, that's kind of the teaser for the next movie, um, which I appreciated. I thought that was very good. But yeah. Um, so, you know, you, you, you from that perspective, it brings you back because you want to see how they decided to handle the Peter and Harry relationship, because obviously nothing would ever, you know, repair that. Or so you think, you know, until, you know, until Spider-Man three. I yeah, also. So with, yeah. Go, go ahead. ahead. No, no, go ahead. No, no go ahead. So I was just going to say, I also, again, love the fact that, you know, for the most of this, you know, movie, you know, you know, Mary Jane is engaged to, funnily enough, J. Jonah Jameson's son, um, John J. John J. Jameson, like he's like the junior or the third or whatever, right? John Jameson is, you know, anyway, he's an astronaut. And, um, you know, but the whole time Peter's trying to be friends with her and, you know, struggling, really struggling with being able to balance being Spider-Man and with, you know, his, his 
you know, personal, you know, friendships and whatnot, and, and everything's just going downhill. So basically, the better he is at being Spider-Man in this movie, the worse his personal life is. And so he finally gets to a point where, like a lot of us as people, are you know, we, we, we get to a crossroads. We're like, okay, this thing that I'm doing every day that I'm supposed to be doing is not making me happy. And it's, it's ruining my life in other ways. Do I keep doing this or do I just say, screw it and and see what happens? And that's what he does. And that's a big, you know, he throws the Spider-Man costume in the trash. And that's, I know that's an iconic uh, scene from the, straight from the comics, I believe. Right. Uh, I forget which Correct. one, but that was, what was, so what was the premise in the comics where you've got him thrown in the trash? It was the same type of thing. He was tired of being the hero because it meant he had to give up so much. And yes, okay. I think they use the same line from the comic book. I don't want to be Spider-Man ever again. He threw the spider suit away or whatever. Yeah. It was, I'm Spider-Man no more. I think is, yeah. is how he, he yeah, does it go. or whatever. And so, yeah, he walks away and then there's like this little montage. I love this where there's a little montage where he's walking around and he, up until this point, by the way, he had been started losing his spider powers. I, I kind of touched on that a little bit. Um, and they don't ever explain why he just, he's, it's maybe because he doesn't want it anymore or something, but like he just all of a sudden, like he, he starts needing to wear glasses again. Like in the last movie, he wore glasses, but then he became Spider-Man and all of a sudden he's got 2020 vision. Now, all of a sudden his vision's getting bad again. So he puts his glasses back on and he starts just being Peter Parker and really excelling at being Peter Parker. And all of a sudden things are starting to click for him, right? Where he's able to, <clears throat> excuse me, um, you know, he's able to really strike up a relationship with Mary Jane and you, you see like, oh, is this, is this going to turn into something? Uh, he starts doing really well in school because that was the whole thing in the last one. And, you know, is like he's in school and he's never, he's always late for class. He's, he's failing tests because he's not studying because he's too busy being Spider-Man. And so you're, you see him start to pass all of his classes and, uh, you know, so it's, it's going good. And he's like, oh yeah, I made the right choice not being Spider-Man anymore. And then all of a sudden when he's faced with a very near death experience where Dr. Octopus attacks Peter and Mary Jane in a coffee shop, all of a sudden he gets his spider abilities back and he's like, nah, this was, it, it was almost like a wake up call. Like, yeah, that was a fun little side vacation, but don't forget who you are. You're Spider-Man and you have a responsibility. Yeah. So the suit, um, the re not the suit, I'm sorry. The reason why he lost his powers was stress. And okay. so, like we talked about in the previous um, podcast episode, there was that his suit—not suit, but his his yeah, his suit doesn't have uh, web shooters. It was organic, right? And I think that Sam Raimi was trying to lean into that it's all a part of him because as he was stressed out, right, his he started losing his powers. He couldn't hang onto the walls anymore. He couldn't shoot webbing anymore. That's why his vision was getting poor again because yep. that stress pushed all that away from him and you're right as he started getting back into it but i think the other thing that um you stumbled on it is that uh that i think people missed is that that was dr connor's the lizard that's right was oh, his, yeah. um teacher professor and, exactly and i think that what they were trying to do because obviously they didn't do it in this series was that um they were trying to set up his next uh, 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 hero to fall in front of him, right? Because he befriended Dr. Octavius. He becomes Doc Ock right now. That, that's his villain. He then started befriending Dr. Connors because he was missing his arm at the time. And he was that's talking right. about we're doing research. And so in my mind, I literally thought they're setting up for Dr. Connors to be a lizard. I said, man, all of his heroes try to murder him later. <laughs> right. It, exactly. 
Um, and so I've, yeah, cause I remember, you know, obviously Spider-Man four never happened or at least not yet. Um, but I remember, yeah, it was either Dr. Connors or the vulture that were going to be the villains of Spider-Man four. And yeah, obviously this, this would have set it up perfectly to make, you know, the lizard, the villain in, in part four, but yeah, you're right. Cause he's, he's still, cause he's in the first, it's the same actor too. I forget the actor's name, but he's, he's so he plays Dr. Connors and it's very clearly the one that, you know, and, uh, yeah, so he's, and and again, going back to the whole, the stress thing, like it's one of those where he's suppressing, you know, a part of who he truly is to try to make another part of his life happy. But it, it, it just, it's not clicking for him. Like he thinks it is. And then he realizes that it's still not the same. Like he thought that throwing away his responsibility would make him, you know, it, and again, it's so relatable to real life where like there's certainly days where like, if you're, you're working your job that you're like, yeah. Yeah, this job's okay, but it's certainly not my favorite thing. Like you, you, you fantasize about what if I just quit and never worked again? I just, I just stayed home all day and I, I didn't do anything, you know, for like 10 minutes in real life, that would be amazing. And then the rest of the day, the rest of your life, you're like, well, this sucks. I got, I miss, I need, I need something. Uh, and so you see that played out, but in a very obviously exaggerated sense here with, you know, Peter as Spider-Man. And I thought they really did a good job with that because again, it's just the next phase of your journey into, I, I feel like the first movie was, you know, <clears throat> almost like a teenager entering into adulthood in, in many ways, physically, emotionally, mentally. This movie was taking your, you know, kind of young adulthood and, and, and moving it into more of an, a mature adulthood. Right. I mean, I, I feel like that's the journey he's been going on these last couple of movies, and it's been pretty consistent. I think what made this movie so great is the fact that it started on fire, because if you remember, the movie started with him trying to deliver the pizzas. Yep. And then he was like, I got to do Spider-Man. And so he did the Spider-Man thing and then he did the pizza time. Pizza was late. And he's like, oh, you know, we could just stop doing, uh, you know, the, the the 30 minutes or less thing. And the guy goes, no, and you're fired. And it was like in that one instance and in that one scene of the movie, you got to see that Spider-Man is the reason why Peter Parker's poor. Yep. Is that when he has to do something, he can't show up and do it. And even when he was trying to, like, what was it? He had to go to see Mary Jane's play, and she had, like, a, a seat for him. Yep. And everybody loves it with, um, oh, Jesus, what's his, Sam Raimi's best friend? Um, oh, Bruce Campbell. Bruce Campbell. Bruce Campbell being in the movie for the second time. Um, That's right. We didn't the, talk about it last time. He's, he's got his cameo in every it. single one. Yep. Yeah. And so um, the the we'll get into what he, who, who he's supposed to be. But um, when in this particular scene, he was the one that's trying to stop him from coming into the theater. Cause you can't come in after the thing started, whatever. And he's given the whole reason like, Oh, it's the theater. It's to give the illusion of this or whatever. And it was almost like, see, you messed up again, Peter. And so I think him being able to pull that back with that stress moment and actually enjoying his life. And like you said, when Doc Ock attacked Mary Jane and him in the coffee shop, it was almost, he came to the conclusion of, I can't, I I don't live in a world where I can walk away. Even when I do try to, yeah, they still find me. <laughs> yeah, and that's he he accepts the inevitability, you know, for better or for worse. Really, you know, obviously we're excited to see him back as Spider Man, but then he's you got to imagine in his head is like, oh god, okay, I really I'm not going to be happy, am I? I can't, or I need to find another way to be happy because this wasn't working. Obviously, I think the other thing was that you really got the poverty of. Um, the 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 peter parker character because he was trying to evade his 
landlord, right? He goes, where's the writ Parker? And that's like right. the biggest like <laughs> meme out there or whatever. Yeah. And I remember watching it going like, man, cause he asked uh, Jonah for uh, the money and he goes, all right, I'll give you some pictures of Spider-Man. Cause he took random pictures and he didn't like it. And I'll give you some money or whatever. And he goes and asks for the money. And the lady goes, Pete, remember we gave you an advance like two weeks ago. You still haven't paid us back on the advance. Like, oh man. And I remember watching going like, um, Aunt May doesn't have any money. She's going to the bank. You're flat broke. I think like, you guys are really nailing this. I'm a broke guy trope here that uh, yeah. I'm starting to think there is no way out of this. Yeah. Well, and uh, you, you just, you feel, because again, it just reminds you like, no matter how much power you have in this case, literal superpowers, like it doesn't matter. Like you're still going to be miserable depending on your situation. Not, I'm not saying you're always going to be miserable, but like there's still a chance that you're going to be miserable and unhappy because like, it doesn't matter all that power. It's not going to make a difference. You know what I mean? Um, uh, yeah, it does it so well. And I think that's why Spider-Man is the best superhero ever, uh, for many people is because he's, he's the most relatable because he's the most human, you know, while at the same time being the most extraordinary from a powers perspective, he's, I mean, he's badass, but he's so real on, on, on that kind of that human level. I think one of the things that's funny to me is that if you just remember the first movie, the, the complaint was the, the green goblin, the helmet, and that Doc Ock is just his face. He's not hiding his identity yeah. the entire movie. And I think to me, one of the funniest bits was, is that very nice person, very humanizing. Harry, you know, has a meet uh, Doc Ock and his wife. His wife dies. And it's not his wife that dies or the failure that causes him to go crazy. It's the restrictor chip that breaks. Right. And because that restrictor chip is gone, that AI was just like, it's so driven to self protect itself or whatever. Right. That's why it, it did it. Cause remember they tried to saw it off and that's right. when it went crazy. Like you're not going to destroy me. And so to me, I was like, Norman Osborne could walk around in broad daylight. Nobody know he's the green goblin, but Dr. Octavius is like doc 24 seven. And yeah. so the transition scenes from like when he was breaking into the bank or coming after, uh, uh throwing the stuff of at, at, um, Peter Parker and Spider-Man were like trying to get Spider-Man out. All those things to me was like funny because I was telling my friends that that's how crazy it is in New York. This guy's walking around with a trench coat and these tentacles and everybody's like, I heard he's that Doc Ock guy. Because remember, they were going to call him Doctor Strange. That's right. And, and he's like, oh, it's good, but it's taken. Yeah, it's taken already. It is like, <laughs> it's, it's just out there. And, it, and to me, I thought that he made a superior villain because he wasn't hiding his identity. He nope. was coming at him full hilt the second he became a villain. And yeah. you still felt like there was a part that could save him because unlike Norman, who really was like crazy, you felt like if he could just get that restrictor chip back and board, you could save this person. Right. He, he, he never felt like he was beyond redemption. And, and that turns out to be the case at right at the end there where he does sacrifice himself. But yeah, he um, I, I agree. I think he's a very fantastically written villain. And, and let's just talk about it. We, you touched on that scene where, again, they're trying to saw the tentacles off. Can we just talk about how that's like one of the scariest scenes in a non horror movie ever? Like it's ter- like it's horrifying, like where it's just going nuts and killing everyone to pick. Sam Raimi, the guy who yeah. did the Evil Dead series and Dark Dark Man, he knew how to draw the line where it was scary enough that you could still get PG-13 rating and not make it a hard R. Because I remember watching it going like, um, this is not a superhero kind of situation. This is kind of crazy that he's right. like, like beating up on people like this. Yeah. 
It was exactly. And like killing people, like they were dying, you know, and, yeah. and it's just these mechanical limbs and it's, it's terrifying. And so anyway, I just, I, just, oh, cause there wasn't really a, a scene like that in the first movie. Like this one had, oh, so good. So, and then of course it leads into, you know, kind of very similar to green goblin in that, like, it's almost like he's dealing with a multiple personality, but this one was, you know, not chemically induced, but mechanically induced almost where his brain was altered, um, you know, for different reasons. But, uh, yeah, there's something about him that it, again, it just, it felt like he was never, like lost. Whereas like Norman, you felt like there was no coming back from what he, he was all about. Like he just who he was. Whereas like, you know, I love the fact that they were able to kind of bring Otto back to the good side too little too late, obviously, because he uses, you know, he sacrifices himself to stop the nuclear uh, fusion from happening or the reactor from going off. But he does come back and that's, it's very, it just, it's a shame that, you know, it was at the, you know, too little too late. I always thought that I gave credit to I'm trying to think my way through the statement to make sure it's accurate. And I think it is accurate outside of the penguin. He's the least in shape villain because <laughs> he wasn't, he wasn't, they weren't trying to get like, like, you know, like how they did with Mr. Freeze, right. Where they right. made it Schwarzenegger. And it's like, that's not anywhere close to the body type of Mr. Freeze. Right. They right. literally was just like, I'm sure they went up to the guys like, Hey, what do I got to prepare for this role? Nothing. You're fine. <laughs> right? Yeah. Go to Olive Garden. It's fine. Grab extra breadsticks too while you're at it. Yeah. Cause we'll you're see you Tuesday. <laughs> Cardio? Now nah, you're going to be suspended from wires. You're fine. Um, I'll go. Yeah. Cause you remember Willem Dafoe was pretty ripped as Goblin. Yeah. Like he, I mean, I, I I don't know if the studio asked him to do it or if that's just what he wanted and how he wanted to look, but like he was pretty cut. Um, and then, yeah, you got Doc Ock, who is just literally a middle-aged dude looks pretty normal. And then, yeah, he's even, even more of a crazy psychopath than, than Goblin was in a lot of ways. And it just, yeah. And it wasn't because he was physically, he was physically intimidating, but not because of his six pack abs. Cause he didn't have them. Yeah. And I think that's the one thing we keep talking about where it's like, why is he such a good villain for Spider-Man? Is it Spider-Man's like ripped to the gills in every version that he's in, right? Yep. Every version that I'm even thinking of, of Dr. Octavius, he's just a regular dude with these possessed tentacles that are an extension of his abilities. And to me, as someone who, who reads comic books, as somebody who writes, you can't ask for a better villain because he's so obtainable that any one of us, if we put on those tentacles, could be just as bad as a villain as he is. Yeah. Versus where it's like, oh, you know, Norman, he got hit with the gas and you know, he was working out. He had a technology. He's like, no, I am one tentacle possession away from being Doc Ock. That's right. I think I think we all are, you know. Um, and I think that's also why, you know, people going back to Batman, because we do that a lot. Apparently, the last couple episodes, uh, I think that's why people love Batman so much is because it's like, yeah, you, I mean, well, I guess you have to be really rich to do it. But, you know, once you get all that money, you could be Batman, you know, so there's that. But uh, Spider-Man a little hard, harder to attain. Uh, but, yeah, from a villain <laughs> perspective, you're right. It's like that could be anyone that just one false move and yeah, they lost it. So watch out for those you know, those AI wires climbing up your spinal cord. Cause that's basically what happens. You see, they connect right to a spinal column and then all of a sudden they possess him or whatever. But, uh, but don't you think there's like the opposite of Peter, right? He gets bit by a spider becomes good. Doc Ock gets possessed by tentacles and he's like villain. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's, you could have gone either way, but nope. Okay. It just shows that the machines are always out to get us. So, <laughs> 
There it is, man. So, okay. So this movie, you said you did not see in theaters as many times as the first one. You said, you know, you knew DVD rentals were a thing and, and all that. So how many times did you see this in theaters? I only saw this three times. Which only three. Okay. Is half. <laughs> <laughs> only three. Okay. Um, I saw this once in theaters. It was the first Spider. I didn't see the first one in theaters. I saw this one in theaters. It was with a girl that I was uh, just friends with in high school. We you just like, oh, let's go, let's go see Spider Man. So we did, and um, I did. I remember. I loved it. It was amazing um but what was your i mean so i think i'd even seen the trailers for spider-man 2 beforehand so i kind of knew going in what was going to happen whereas the first one i went in, i mean i knew spider-man as a whole but i didn't know anything about the plot so i went in pretty cold uh how hyped were you for spider-man 2 it you know going into it so i don't remember what the url was i don't know if it was spider-man the movie.com but they used to do those things like x-men the movie.com when you oh, go yeah, to yeah. it it was a big x it just made a bunch of noises and it said like come back on this day to see the trailer. And it was the same thing with Spider-Man is that you would go to see the trailer and you would just watch it. And I remember watching it over and over again. In fact, um, if you want to go one step further, Spider-Man is the best uh, uh, superhero movie to date. Spider-Man, the video game part two was probably one of the best video games um, for superheroes to date at that time, because it was an open world concept, which is something we'd never had before where you could yeah. actually like claim the fame, which you could go anywhere in New York. Um, now, as far as my first time seeing Spider-Man, the reason why I saw it back to back, I threw my back out. Um, why not to go see it the first time? Not on purpose. I was digging ditches with my dad and I throw my lower, lower back out and I was so adamant that I want to see it opening weekend that I'm going to go see it whether I'm in pain or not. And so I go to this movie theater and a friend of mine, he goes, oh yeah, I think the theater is on this side of the mall. It wasn't. And so I had to walk through the whole mall. <laughs> With a bad and I had a Yeah, well, I had a mixture of icy hot and those thermal pad things you'd stick under your back. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and so I'm walking, like, holding onto my back, and it just hurts. And I remember sitting down in the seat, and it hurt. And so a lot of my taking into the movie was through the pain of it all. But the funniest bit was I went to go get some popcorn. And I'm walking like, oh, man, holding my back. And I'm walking. I come back. It was during one of the talking scenes i can't remember which one it was but here's where things got really bad when he goes to spin his web and it stops working he goes no 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 and he falls and he bounces off all the things and he hits his back on the the trash can and he walks with holding his back oh my back oh my yeah. friend turns to me you're spider-man <laughs> well it doesn't even say later he's like i'm back i'm back and then he just goes oh my back my yeah. back yeah. exactly exactly so when the movie ended i'm still hobbling i didn't get any better <laughs> during the movie as soon as i'm walking out i hear a couple of people going he's pretending like he's in the movie i came in with this bad back all right buddy <laughs> and so i wanted to go back for two reasons the scene i missed when i went to the bathroom yep. and to actually watch it not feeling lightning rods of pain going down my spine yep. and so the second time i really got to enjoy it uh and then the third one i was like i had a family in town but i think the one thing like I said earlier about the taking of the mask off, I think he lost his mask too many times in the movie. Okay. Um, yeah. I think it's the same problem that, that as we keep going back to Batman, right? Is at the end of Batman returns, he rips off his master Catwoman, who he is. And to me, I was like, Oh, okay. The people on the train know who he is. Oh, and Harry does. Kristen Dunst knows. I right. mean, at the end, 
Where's the yeah. secret at? <laughs> Where's the point of the mask? Well, and, and it's funny too, because I feel like the same thing happens with the Tom Holland Spider-Man movies where he's he's more often than not not wearing the mask. He's just wearing the suit because like he's well, you're 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 paying to see his face, I guess. I don't know, you know. Um, but I agree, yeah, he does lose his mask a lot more. Although I, I would argue that every time he loses his mask, it's for a very significant reason in the movie. It's not like he just takes it off for you know what I mean? So I don't know. I felt like it was okay this time around as far as Spider-Man 2 goes. I agree. I don't think he just like ripped it off because he needed to breathe. Right. Because like it was literally like like the first movie when the grenade goes off and it shreds the mask off his face. That yep. was perfect. That was like everything you see in the comic books. And I think it's the same thing in this movie where it's the natural progression of the fighting and the ripping up or whatever. And it happened. But like for me, um, it cracked me up as like when he was trying to stop the train. By far, that was a heart stopper for me. I knew he had to save the day, right? Yep. But I'm just sitting there like, you got to be kidding me that it showed how strong he was. Because I know I knew as a kid, like from reading, how strong he is as a character. But in the movies uh, and up to that point, people just thought, oh, he's just a guy who swings around. No, he stopped the whole train with the the webs and like pulling back on it or whatever. There's a lot of like tensile strength in his arms that hold it. And so yep. when he like passed out from exhaustion and the guy's like, he's just a kid. I was like, well, that's about it. JJ Jonah Jameson is going to get a couple bucks and all of a sudden he's going to know exactly who this kid is. But it also showed how yeah. the New Yorkers were like, I don't want to lose this hero to like spoiling his identity. And so like yeah. everybody just agreed they, they weren't going to tell anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the thing is, okay, which I would argue there's a little unrealistic, you know, whatever there, because like they don't know who he is and they didn't have cell phones to take pictures of him. So like, what are they going to say? True. It reminds me of a scene in I was watching a clip. I don't know if it was a movie or show. It was the Justice League and Lex Luthor possesses the Flash and he goes, time to find out who you are. And he pulls the mask off and he goes, I have no idea who this is. <laughs> I remember so that. I'm that like, was actually pretty funny. Yeah. yeah. So, I'm, but I'm like, so like, yeah, even if they saw his face, how many millions of people are there in New York City? They don't know who he is. It's not like he's well, it's not Bruce Wayne. Like if it was Batman, that yeah. got a mask. Yeah, shit. That's Bruce Wayne. This is some rando. You know what I mean? Like as far as they're concerned. So I feel like, I don't know, like the identity of Spider-Man for in this scenario, you know, for a one off where they see his face and they'll never see his face again. Like they're not going to know who he is. You know what I mean? So I, I agree. I, I just rather him not have lost it yeah but i'm glad i'm glad it didn't was his, i'm glad it wasn't his undoing that's right. the one thing I, I was happy about sure yeah abs- i would agree with that absolutely now one of the things we talked about last time around was seeing actors in movies that you you know you forgot were in that or like earlier movies did do you know there's do you recognize any people in this film that were that ended up becoming very famous later on i have one in particular but i'd like to know if you found any too i don't i don't know if it's the same guy i'm thinking of it's the guy in the elevator that he was in that i love the 90s i love the 80s tv series or whatever house Sparks. Um, we, yeah house Sparks. there you go house Sparks. yeah that's yes. the only person. Not that who I was I thinking think of. It was- That's the only one. Okay, who? All right, I have another. I have another one for you. Uh, so Aunt, uh, Aunt May and, and Peter are at the bank, and they're talking to the bank teller. And mm-hmm. do you remember who played the bank teller? No. Joel McHale. Oh man, you know what? Now that I think about <laughs> it, his personality fits bank teller. <laughs> yes, right. Sorry, the toaster's only for people who make a deposit of five hundred dollars. 
so you don't get the toaster. Um, I'm looking here at a list. There's other people apparently who like, so Emily Deschanel plays a receptionist apparently. So Emily Deschanel, I believe is the sister of Zoe. Yeah. She's bones from the show bones. She's, she's a receptionist in this. Um, who else is in this? Let's see. There's uh, Daniel day. Kim is uh, Otto's assistant. Daniel day. Kim, of course, known as um, he's in lost as uh, what's his name in lost Jin, uh, right in lost. Jin Su Kwan. And then okay. uh, let's see. There's, oh, there's there's a couple other ones here. Uh, there's John Landis. Uh, Phil Lamar is a train passenger. Never know Phil Lamar. He's a train passenger. He's yeah. a famous actor. Um, yeah. John Landis, one of the doctors who operates on Otto Octavius. He was a very famous director, directed Animal House, Blues Brothers, uh, Beverly Hills Cop 3. Ugh, I don't like to remember that. Uh, Who's the lady that, that gave him his paycheck? Uh, the lady who paycheck. The, some you, famous Betty Brandt. You talking yeah, about Betty Brandt? Yeah. Um, she, oh, that's Elizabeth Banks. There it is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she's. I mean, she's very famous. Yeah. So she she's in all three of the movies. Yeah, that's it. I try to remember. Say, I knew she was famous. I didn't remember what her name was. Yeah. So there it is, man. Yeah, Betty. It's uh, Elizabeth. Uh, Elizabeth Banks. So, oh, good stuff. It's such a good movie, man. And so you mentioned, so you, you played the video game. I never played the video game. So it was, it was, was it good? Um, there was a lot of repetitive like missions as you would imagine from back then, but it was really awesome to be able to like be on top of like, let's say the empire state building and just jump off and fall to the ground and spin webs and everything. And it was just so weird. I remember having an Xbox and moving on to the 360 and keeping the Xbox just so I could play the Spider-Man game. Um, oh, it was, a, it was original Xbox game only? Uh, no, I came on Xbox and PlayStation. I just was like an Xbox diehard at the time. Oh, but what um, I'm saying, it wasn't the PS3, Xbox 360 that didn't make it for that generation of consoles. No, they didn't do it. They they told you you could, um, was it when you backwards would, compatible. Would it, uh, backwards compatible. And when I put it in, um, you got to the Bruce Campbell like tutorial. And as soon as you finished the tutorial, the whole thing went gray and you couldn't go any further. Oh, so geez. I was like, all right, that's, that's the end annoying. of that. Yeah, right. Jeez. Um, yeah, no, I never played it. I've always heard that it was, you know, up until probably the, the one that came out a few years ago was was the best Spider-Man game as far as anyone was concerned, because it was it, it did open world properly. It had good web swinging mechanics, you know, and all that fun stuff. But uh, yeah. so I'm looking here, by the way, and and fun fact, uh, the box office for this movie, though, this movie is considered superior to the first Spider movie in, in many ways, uh, actually made less money overall at the box office than the first Spider-Man movie. Did you know that? I heard that. I think the the shine was off of it, right? Um, because I think there were a lot of people like me who just couldn't believe you could see somebody swinging webs between the buildings or whatever that now that you could see it could be done. Yeah. Just less. Yeah, I need to want to watch it. Yeah, but still, I I would agree because it made like a hundred million less almost than the first Spider-Man movie. Like it was pretty significant. And then then I think Spider-Man three ended up making more. Uh, so I don't know. Uh, actually, oh, I'll tell that's you real quick. true. I'm going to be so sad. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. So I said seven ninety for Spider-Man two, uh, eight ninety five for Spider-Man three. So yeah, I went back up oh, and, and I think it 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 was beat by I think it beat Spider-Man one actually. So Spider-Man three is the highest grossing. Uh, for better, for worse. So, oh man, I can say that uh, uh, movies that came out that summer was like, yeah, let's Shrek talk about two. those real quick. Okay. Yeah. You got the Shrek two, Harry Potter, uh, and the prisoner of, was it Azkaban? Azkaban, um, yep. 
Day After Tomorrow, iRobot, and The Bourne Supremacy, which we've talked about already. That's right. Um, I was going to say, I remember one of the Bourne movies came out the same year. Yeah, I, I can say, I think Shrek 2, um, I was actually talking to my wife about that, is that during that early time frame of the early 2000s, we started getting movies that we'd never seen before. Like Spider-Man was like a good superhero movie you could take people to go see and they enjoy it. Shrek yep. was a kid's movie that really wasn't for kids. And so I remember going to see like Shrek 2 and uh, iRobot and Day After Tomorrow. But if you ask me of all those movies, which one stuck in my mind as being the best, it's still Spider-Man 2. Only because yeah. I just remember just enjoying like when I looked up for this podcast, iRobot came in the same year. I'm like, I can't even believe it. I didn't. I, I think Fox ruined it for me because it came on like FX every day for like, I don't know, a whole summer. Right, and right. so they, they played to the point where I didn't like even want to see it anymore. But for this one, <laughs> it felt timeless. Every time I saw it like a TBS, I'll sign up for it, man. I already know what's happening, but I'm ready. <laughs> That's right. Absolutely. Now, um, remember we talked the first time you saw the trailer for the first one. You couldn't remember the movie you saw in theaters, but you remembered the trailer and it got you hyped. So in this case, do you remember where the trailer first came out for Spider-Man 2? Do you remember what movie um, was first shown in front of? I know it I was an action I have it in movie. front of me. I have it in front of me here. I just, I'm curious as if you remember. I don't remember what it is. Go ahead and give it to me. What is it? So the, the first, according to Wikipedia, the first teaser trailer for Spider-Man 2 was released in December of 2003, and it was part of the screenings of The Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. Definitely did not see it for that. I've never watched Lord of the Rings. Oh, so, really? Okay. Yeah. Well, then watched. we won't talk about those in a future episode together. Then. <laughs> <laughs> no, it'll be great. I'll be completely lost the entire time. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, um, no. no, I, I, if you would have said like maybe, I think Blade 2 came out before this one, right? Did it? I, I, I don't remember. Have. I haven't seen Blade 2, I've only seen the first one, and that was years ago. Oh, wow, two wasn't, yeah. wasn't bad, but it wasn't as good as one as, yeah, you know, as we said before. One of the things that blew me away though with um, this movie was not only the losing of the powers, but the other love interests were the, um, I guess, Bulgarian girl who lived in oh, the Ursula or Peter. whatever. Ursula. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. And she kept saying, so, hey, Pete, how's it going? And in my mind, I thought, are we actually going to see a different love interest? And it didn't happen. But a part of me wished that it could have. Because I was like, Pete, come on, man. She's moved on. This yeah. lady here, she doesn't care you're broke. You know, this is, this is the type of people you want to hang out with, right? Yeah, she's a smoke show too, man. She was hot. I mean, as far as I, you know what I mean? Like she was, oof, you know, yeah. And so <laughs> I, they did, they teased that, right? And you're like, oh, you kind of wanted to, and then it just never does. And I don't know, I guess on one hand it shows, well, Peter really is, as we talked about last time, like he is dedicated to Mary Jane, but like, you're like, damn, if that were me, what would I have done? You know, and I almost wonder if that's why they put that in there, that character to, to, to say, hey, as the viewer, what would you do in Peter's case? Would you, would you go for it? You got this like, I mean, this, she's ready. She's ready for you, man. Um, or are you going to keep going after the, the girl of your dreams? And, you know, that's what he does. Another weird thing that came out in this movie, which I thought was a nice furnish, was the original Spider-Man song was sung by that lady on the violin. It was oh, that's right. Key. It was absolutely horrible. But for somebody who grew up watching the show, I was like, all right, good job. You found a way to like, that wasn't in the first in one. There. I don't think it was. I thought it was in the first one where they're doing the whole montage, but uh, no, no, I, they I, had a I guy was, singing it, but it was in like a weird style or something. But I remember, I don't know, maybe not. I, I remember her singing it in this one, yeah, because he like sees her. It was like on the subway or whatever, right, or in this uh, subway station or something. It was after he got out of the uh, the movie theater and the girl That's that she was, was singing. Yeah, 
Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There it is. Oh, man. What a movie. And uh, so, okay. So would would you, I think I already asked you this, but would you say it, you, you prefer this villain to, to the first movie's villain? I, when I had the ability to, to show my kids any Spider-Man movie that came out, it was this one I started off with because okay. it was the low point of entry. They didn't have to live through him getting, because I, I think all that drama stuff would be lost on them. Yeah. And they were definitely into it. Like when Aunt May was um, hitting Dr. Ock with the, with the umbrella, I remember my daughter was looking at me and like, yeah, she's got to stop that bad guy or whatever. Like everybody was just emotionally invested that he was yeah. triumphing over evil in spite of all the shortcomings. And I think as far as heroes go, I don't, I don't know. Cause technically Thor didn't have his powers in the first movie because he was banished from having his power. Oh, he had him at first any, and then he lost him like a video game character and he had to earn him back. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think anybody had like his type of story arc. I'm trying to think my way through it now. I'm sure they're, they're close Up until to that like, point. The, I don't know. Yeah. Cause I'm even, I'm trying to think of even like X-Men where they had like the, they lose their powers, but that was the third one. So no, I don't, I don't yeah. really think. Yeah, I don't I don't I think this was pretty unique at the time of like him losing his powers and having to just go through life without him. And I don't think as far as I can remember in the comic books, I don't think he's ever lost his powers. I know he's walked away and said, I don't want to do this anymore, but I don't ever think he's ever like tried to stick to walls. So I can't do this anymore. Right. Um, so I, to me, I think that's what made it the second movie amped up because like we keep comparing it to 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 batman let's change it up here right let's compare it to superman 2 sure. right um and in superman 2 he's just superman again and you don't really feel like anything much different because that's when he fought the the kryptonians right in part mm-hmm. two yeah yeah. and so you kind of like okay he's got to fight kryptonians instead of like a missile uh but um even then he cheated because he still lost, and then he reversed time kind of situation. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, it's a bit of a cop out, if I recall. But uh, I feel like this did this did amazing uh, work with trying to find a way to know that this is the stuff that was in the past and the sequels that you had in the past to try to make it in a way where you could have missed the first movie. You got that hint of a flashback with Uncle Ben dying, and you could have just rolled into this and not have seen the first one and been completely fine. Been fine. Yep, I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. And in fact, one of the things we haven't really touched on is is Peter's relationship with Aunt May in this one because it does falter a little bit, and that's where, you know, and, and it's and it, it's it, it falters at a time where Peter thinks he's moved on from Spider-Man and is happy. That's when he confesses to Aunt May that he saw when Ben died and, uh, you know, and like he didn't save him or whatever. And she like just walks away from him. And that's like the most devastating for me. That's one of the most devastating scenes of the whole movie. Cause this is a woman that like loved him unconditionally. And all of a sudden she's so disappointed in him and you feel so bad for him. Um, and it's at, again, it's at a time where he thinks that he has everything now that he doesn't have to stress about being Spider-Man anymore, but he's still not able to be happy. And I think that's one of the problems he has as a character, which makes him so beloved by, by millions is the fact that he doesn't know how to navigate any part of his life successfully, which is something nope. we all can like line ourselves up with. Cause to me, I was like, Bruce Wayne can't have a bad day because you sit there's Oh, Alfred, you know, the Joker got away, but I'm still a billionaire. Right. <laughs> yeah. He, he didn't have to worry about rent, even though the Joker exactly. Whereas Peter, you know, even if he has the best day as Spider-Man and catches all the bad guys, like he still can't pay rent. Like what's. Yeah. 
And you know? even worse than that is that like think think about how bad his life is. Is that he's sitting there and he goes, "Hey, look, Jonah, I'm going to take pictures of your son. I'm going to take pictures of like these people out there protesting. If you give me Spider Man pictures, I'll give you some money." Yeah, but every time I give you pictures of Spider Man, hear me out. You write bad articles about him. Yeah, what's the problem? Right. I have a vested interest not to be enemy number one. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, it's a good dynamic. It's, it's, it is. It's, oh, I love it so much. I, mm, I want to rewatch these. I think I'm going to rewatch. I haven't rewatched them in a long time. I think it's time. It's the my wife's favorite thing, trilogy. You're, you're, uh, we, we need to touch on J.K. Simmons. Um, and he's back again. Con- yeah. Continual morphing of his character because he was really sad because remember Robbie came in with his with the Spider-Man suit in a bag and yeah. he was mad that Spider-Man was gone and he's like I can't believe he's gone you know this is it this is going on and then you know Peter Parker in the window uses web grabs a suit off the wall he's back he's a menace he's a criminal suit. <laughs> you know what it remind it reminded me of a scene from the 1992 Royal Rumble where Roddy Piper starts helping out Ric Flair and he's like I knew it it's it's a kilt I know why you're wearing it I get it and then all of a sudden he punches Ric Flair in the face he goes oh you skirt wearing freak <laughs> channeling Bobby the Brain Heenan there do you ever did you ever watch the deleted scene of him trying on the Spider Man suit yes. And I tell you what, I was like, they should have left it in. I would have enjoyed that too much, though. Oh, so, I mean, I, I get why they left it out just from a pacing standpoint. But, like, and I got to tell you, man, I mean, J. Jonah Jameson looked pretty good in that suit. I'm going to be honest with you. He's a fit guy. You know, which you, you'll you'll you learn later in other movies he's been in. But he was he was rocking that suit pretty comfortably, I would say. So, in a alternate universe, uh, Peter Parker becomes the man in the chair. And J. Jonah Jameson was the one who got bit by the spider. Oh, really? And so... I'm going to tell you this because it's probably, I just learned this is one of the funniest things I've ever heard. They, J. Jonah Jameson is the reporter and Peter Parker is the photographer. Jay gets bit by the spider. And so he's like putting something over his face to hide his identity, saving the day. And so um, Peter Parker is the man in the seat. And so he says, Hey, you know, Jonah, I had an idea. It's like, what? Well, you were bit by a spider. You know, how don't you go by Spider-Man? That's a dumb name. I'm going to go by Headline. <laughs> and so, I think his name was like Headline and he looks like a newspaper like yeah. outfit or whatever. And I and I remember reading it goes, so help me. I think that's exactly what happened. <laughs> that's amazing. I, that, that, I can, yeah, that'd be terrific. Oh, all right, man. Anything else you want to touch on before we wrap this one up? Um... I I would say that we need to give more credit to Bruce Campbell for his for his cameo. Sadly, we didn't mention him in the last one, but the cameo that he did in this movie, I think, really stole the show as far as breaking the pacing and and really showing like how far off Peter Parker was. Because if everybody who I was with thought, oh, he's just going to open the door and sit down, and Bruce was like being the villain, the dick in his way, right. You can't come in. You can't do this. And a friend of mine who knows Bruce Campbell from Evil Dead, he was like, this is like the perfect street level villain to a Peter Parker character because he can't get around him no matter what right. he tries. Yeah. Oh, God. And and yeah, so let's we, we, we did. We forgot to shout him out uh, in the last time around. He was the, the wrestling annou- announcer. He wasn't the promoter. He was the announcer. And he, he actually came up with the name Spider-Man technically. So we got to yep. thank Bruce Campbell for that. And now, supposedly, Bruce Campbell has said in interviews that it's the same guy in all three movies. But I don't know if I believe that, especially with the third one, the guy having a French accent. But what are your thoughts? OK, so it's true. 
Um, okay. I, I, I can delve it more into it in the next one, but he was supposed to be um, in the fourth movie as Mysterio. Oh. And so um, it's supposed to be that he is the same person each in each movie because he's doing what an actor would do because Mysterio is an actor. He's, he's trying acting. to do. Yeah. So he's basically he's going through all the paces of what he would have done. Right. And it's supposed to be because I saw the storyboard and it could have been fan made. I don't know. But it starts the movie off with him in the Mysterio suit and they are arresting him with Spider-Man, like dropping off at the, at the precinct. And when they take the fishbowl off, it's him. And he's like, I want to stop them, too. But he got all these people getting in my way and everything. And I thought if like we could have style. That, yeah. And as a, <laughs> we could have had that, I would have died laughing. <laughs> oh, God, that would have been terrific. That would have been amazing. Yeah. So. Oh, well. It's okay. What could have been? I'm sure they'll do like they should do like a comic book spin. Did they ever do a comic book run of the movies or no? So they did Batman '89 and Superman whatever year yeah. it was. Um, I knew but those. No, they never did it for the Raimi verse. And I actually do think you're right. If they continued to grow it out and they literally said, "Hey, this Hollywood star would have been this character," and all, I think it would do very well. I agree, hundred percent. I think you could have fleshed out the stories and and whoever you wanted to play. And though you very easily could, I hundred percent agree. So, oh, well, well, we'll see who, uh, who our buddy Bruce is playing next time around. We haven't even talked by the way about the Stan Lee cameos. Cause he's cameoing in these as well. This is like his early start in cameoing in basically every Marvel movie until he dies and beyond. Um, I'm trying to think who he is in this one though. Is he someone, and, and this is a big one because again, Stan Lee, like his favorite superhero that he ever created was Spider-Man. So obviously these movies have significance for him, but um, isn't he like the next door neighbor or something? Or he's someone where he's telling Peter like, Oh, that's Spider-Man. So great. Or something like that. Or like, Yeah. I, I can't remember what Stanley's cameo was. I know him from the, the Spider-Man show from the nineties. He used to be the one that like, kicked off the episode. Greetings, right. true believers. And like, so you, <laughs> yes. you knew Excelsior. that. The Excelsior. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I remember him being in the movie. I can't say off the top of my head who he was in the movie, but I think he was, was talking it, to Peter though. And he was like, is that Spider-Man? He sure is great. You know, yeah, I think it is. I think that is the cameo because in the first right movie, he is in it. He's one of the people that's like the the something that Goblin knocks off a building is about to fall on him, and he gets he gets knocked out of the way. Yeah, yeah, he moves so, he moves a lady out the way at the last minute or whatever. So yeah, that was the first one. This is the second one. You're right. Um, I think it was really it was really nice that they gave him the ability to do that. If if I had the ability to see any of my characters come to life, I would love to just be like the janitor in a scene, right? Just to be like, hey. You know, I'm I'm not your father, but I'm your father. I created you. You know, That's right. I'm here. Listen, if they put Hummingbird on the silver screen, like they will find a role for you. I, you need to write that into your contract when they buy the rights. I'm just saying. Uh, I don't know. I read Hummingbird. A lot of people die. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying you'd be one who die, or maybe you do, because that'd be kind of cool, right? You that know, would I be died. Cool. That'd be amazing. So, well, listen, man, before we wrap up, uh, I'd love to give you a chance to, to kind of shout that out again. So as I mentioned at the start of the episode, future best-selling author, in my opinion here, uh, author of the recently released novel Hummingbird. Uh, how's everything going with that, man? I know we just talked a week ago about it, but for those who maybe are just catching up now, uh, what's going on in your, in your world as a writer? So we're going to be doing, um, and you can put this in the show notes if you like, there's going to be a thing where we're going to be giving away the book on. Um, 
Amazon. So I did that right after Christmas. And apparently Boxing Day is also called Stuff Your Kindle Day. I didn't know that. Huh. And I just put my book for free and like over 100 people downloaded it. Oh, nice. Um, and so I'm trying to get it out there as many hands as possible. So I'll yeah. give you the promo link when it comes out. Um, but yeah, we're trying to trying to push it out to more people. Um, I believe I haven't checked earlier today, but um, we were at 25 reviews at a 4.7, 4.8 on Amazon. And so for uh, up and coming authors, especially indie published author, it's a really big deal to have such a high rating and to also have so many units moved. Yeah. Um, the audiobooks come along pretty well. Uh, you'll be one of the first people to like listen to it, make sure it sounds crisp. But um, absolutely, of course. You and I have talked about in the past that uh, the follow up novel that uh, if it if it still fits in your schedule, um, you give it a look. See, I'm sure I'll um, have the bandwidth if, if if you want me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you got the voice for it, my man. You oh, definitely thank do. Thank you. Thank you. And I think, but it's it's one of those things that you just work so hard on it, and then when you take your head up for air and you see how much was accomplished, you're almost like, I did all that. Cause yeah, man, the second book's done. I'm in my final reading of it. And I'm about halfway through the first act of the third book. And to me, it's just like, I got people right now on, uh, building me the, uh, the, the actual like cover art for, it. and it's just like, it's all coming together. And so when the trilogy is done by the end of the year, my hope is to like, do like a whole trilogy release party thing and posters, signings and stuff. But yeah, it's coming along nicely. And I'm just really happy to be able to actually do something like this and actually create yeah, something man. for people to enjoy. No, that's amazing, dude. I love it. I think, uh, you know, I, th- the closest I can relate to it is this podcast, right? It's something that I just thought of in my head and finally just did it and seeing it come together. And it is, it's a, one of the coolest feelings in the world because it's something you truly built and you're able to show it off to the world and people can consume whatever you is you've built and you can truly share it with people. Uh, so that's amazing. And I'm, I'm so, I'm happy for you, man. This is, this is so awesome. And, and I'm, I'm, more than honored to have you come on here and be able to share that with people. So hopefully uh, if you're listening to this, you, you check out his book, we will definitely have a link to it in the, uh, in the notes below. So just uh, be on the lookout for that as well. Um, yeah, man, very excited. Well, listen, we're going to go ahead and wrap up here, but uh, we will be back next week for the, the thrilling conclusion to our Sam Raimi, Tobey Maguire, Spider-Man trilogy with what is considered to be by many the worst the low point of the Spider-Man trilogy. <laughs> the box office dollars say otherwise, and I'll be honest, I might even say otherwise too, but we'll talk all about that next week. Uh, and before we, you know, before we wrap up, guys, uh, as a reminder, make sure if you know somebody who likes the show, you're telling them all about it, you're sharing, you're spreading the good word about Generation S. You know, We're only going to grow through those referrals. We don't really advertise anywhere other than here on the podcast. Um, so make sure you're telling your friends all about the show. Make sure that we got a ton of episodes in the bank at this point, almost 70, I think we're up to. So make sure uh, there's, there's something they could find in there to listen to and uh, make sure you're checking us out on all our social media. Give us a follow on Instagram at generation S podcast over on Facebook at the same URL uh, on YouTube at generation S. We've got some great content being put out every single week there. And uh, Hey, if you want to support the show financially, we don't have a Patreon, at least not yet, but we do have a merch store. If you want to get yourself some dope generation S swag, we've got t-shirts, we've got notebooks, we've got uh, I think we've got a mug up there. It's been a while since I've updated the page. We got some pretty cool stuff though. So check it out. We got a lot of logo variants that I, I, I personally designed uh, that I'm pretty proud of. So check those out as well. If you're in the mood for a new shirt and uh, with that guys, again, we will be back next week with part trois trace. I don't know. Three <laughs> of the Spider-Man trilogy uh, talking all about Spider-Man three. So until then, uh, thank you for so much for listening and we'll talk to you soon. Goodbye. Goodbye.